Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, we look back at a wild Winnipeg victory over Montreal. More trade talk ahead of the deadline. Plus... Mark Scheifele versus Tim Peel? Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, what's going on, everybody? Hope you're doing well. Coming back a little bit early today. I know last episode I said we'd be back Saturday morning after Jets Stars, but I got to go out of town for work on the weekend. So we're here now, but still plenty to talk about over the last few days, including a new rivalry I don't think anybody saw coming. So let's get right into it. Joining me today to help me out is my brother, recurring guest. And newest member of CJOB, Tyson Rewicki. It's good to be back. Very excited. We're making we're making money moves now. You know, we're moving up in the world. <laughs> you you get hired at CJOB and you've got this attitude already. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed. But uh just want to say congrats and, and let you. everybody know out there that you know I'm not just having you on for charity you are an actual broadcasting member so now that you're kind of uh, i guess officially part of the professional group i uh, just wanted to give you a a quick congrats there and, and good job buddy well thank you very much salt so just a part of the process you know we're gonna be, we're, we're gonna be getting there <laughs> all right so let me start us off with a question tice and we're gonna do a little bit of history here okay how's your hockey how's your nhl history Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. Best NHL team of all time. Before you answer, I'll give you three options. 1970s Canadian, 1980s Oilers, or the 2022 Winnipeg Jets immediately after the Hoosley Men's Choir sings the Ukrainian National Anthem. Go! Oh, definitely, definitely the latter option. I there's there's no way you could lose a game with with that with that crowd sitting right before the game. That that got me fired. I was ready to run through a wall after that after that anthem. I know it was like a combination of goosebumps everywhere, but like, let's go. Like we oh, yeah. 
we, we got to make sure that we represent here. Now, it's funny you say, too, how could you lose a game like that? Well, the Winnipeg Jets tried pretty hard. Um, that's why I said immediately after, not the whole game, but just immediately after, I think the Jets might give uh, the 70s Habs and the 80s Oilers a good seven-game series run. But, I mean, that anthem, and, and first off, major props to the Jets for putting that together. It, it was just an absolute home run. So that was that was great. It's one of those anthems that I think all of us will remember forever. But then just a weird game in total because I kind of, you know, if we're being honest here, turn the game off after the Jets were up for zip and then put it back on at 4-2. And it's like, oh, no, it's 4-3 after 20. And you knew it was only a matter of time, I think, before Montreal scored to tie it up. But thankfully, the Winnipeg Jets found a way to push through. I mean, there's a decent amount of takeaways to grab from that game. But Tyson, was there one thing that stood out to you above the rest? Well, like, like, I mean, just like you said before, how you turn the game off. I literally was watching something. I forget what other game I was watching, but like, you see, you see, it's four all. You're like, okay, they can't actually be doing this again, can they? Like, this isn't like this. That, that's not real, right? I mean, they they pulled through at the end. The power play, power play was awesome. Um, you know, like that, like it was nice to have some extra depth scoring too. That was one of the one of the big carries. You know, Svechkov got a goal. Lowry had a really nice one there. It was just nice to get that extra support from those guys in the bottom six. Yeah, funny how that works, hey? Yeah. Where, and even though the big guns were firing in the game, but when you're, when you're, I can't even say fourth line, but when your third line starts producing, and it has to, you know, to their credit the past few games, I think that's three or four straight for Lowry with a goal. I mean, all of a sudden you do become a lot tougher to beat. Lowry was great. For me, the big thing though, and this is, I mean, it's happened since he got the call up back to the line. I'm glad you mentioned him. Can we officially put an end to Evgeny Svechnikov not getting, I can't even say top six minutes. We'll get to that in just a sec, but just the Svechnikov staying on the second line for the rest of the season, barring injury. Like it's just, it's so crazy to me how at the beginning of the season, he's a member of the Dubois Connor line by far the Winnipeg Jets best line. He gets moved down. Connor Dubois don't struggle, but they're not necessarily as dynamic as they were early on. And then he gets put back on and what happens? They look as good as they, like, it's just there. Like, they have that innate chemistry. And I don't know why it's taken a couple of months for Sveshnikov to get that audition back up there on the second line. But, like, what what more do we need to see to know that, look, the Jets kind of found a little bit of gold here. You keep him up there for the rest of the season. And then, you know what, you figure out what happens after the year's done. Well, and like, that, that that's the whole point behind signing him at when they did right i mean you're a team that was strapped against the cap and you're looking for guys who can maybe you can plug into your top six that have some skill and and so far he's done exactly that with with dubois and connor and i mean it just putting him in that top six is a trickle down effect you can move one of your better guys down you know now you have cop lowry you reunited and now they're clicking again it's, as you see I, I could like people have been saying all year you just give him a chance like just let it just give him an extended period of time See what he can do. He costs you nothing. It's a low risk, high reward move. And now, like, now you're seeing the reward coming through in that contract. Yeah. Well, and it's just weird because you watch him play and he looks the part, right? Like, it's not, it's not like you're talking about some other skilled first rounders where, you know, they're kind of soft and they're maybe a bit lazy on the back check and, and, and the defensive zone is meh. You know what I mean? But like, he actually, he does his best work in the corners. Like, he is. 
you know, maybe despite the first round uh, price tag on him, he's a gritty ass player. Like he does all the dirty work for that line. He, he opens up a ton of space. He made a couple nice passes as well. I mean, a great setup to give Dubois the puck down low on, on Nate Schmidt's goal. Then obviously he scores the first one of the game. He, he just does a lot of the things right. So I don't, I still don't understand. I mean, I don't know what he's like in practice and in the dressing room, but you know, well, if he's, if he's decent there, like, I don't know what more you need to see out of him to give him more than 12, 13 minutes a night. But I'm like, by all accounts too, you see him like on the social media, he just seems like a guy that's just seems like a like, happy guy. All like the time. a beauty, like, right? Yeah. He just seems like a good guy. And he's, I, in my opinion, he's kind of done what I think they thought Vessel Einan was going to be yeah. for them in this top six. And I think he's been filling out that role nicely. And he, he just adds kind of a different element than some of those other guys that you could maybe bring up there. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's a great point on the Veselainen thing. Um, oddly enough, Veselainen played more than Evgeny Sveshnikov in that game. So even when Sveshnikov's playing well, he's still getting screwed a little bit when it comes to ice time. But, you know, he, it's really unfortunate that the Jets are where they are in the standings right now because it does feel like too little too late in this sense. Nick Ehlers is going to be back. I mean, maybe right away. He's skating in a in a no con- or a contact jersey now, and Cole Perfetti I don't think is is crazy far away. It's a shame you couldn't see the Winnipeg Jets lineup, specifically their top nine, when Ehlers comes back, when Perfetti comes back. That would be a pretty dangerous top nine, and then you don't have to worry about the fourth line as much. But I don't I don't know if we're ever going to see that for the Winnipeg Jets, and and if it's going to matter all that much now that they're six and, and maybe even eight points out of a playoff spot. So depth scoring was great. You mentioned the power play. The power play was outstanding. Love seeing Mark Shifley shoot the puck more. I still think this entire, even though he's on this heater lately, still think he needs to shoot the puck more. He's got outside of Kyle Connor, probably the best release on the team. And Svechnikov is a beauty. So, so those are some of the positives there. As far as negative takeaways, I mean, we can touch on this one quickly here. The goaltending was not good in this game. Uh, Connor Hellebuck, especially in the first period, ugh, some of the, some of those goals, you, you can't give those up. Sam Montembeau, though, might have been doubly as bad on the others, right? Like, it just it was not a good goaltending exhibition. And, and, you know, to be fair to the Jets, that did play a major part in the Montreal Canadiens' comeback there in the first because if Hellebuck's on his game, two of the three goals in the first period don't go in, and, you know, it's probably a route from the first period onwards. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Montembeau is terrible. Like, I'm sorry, but he's just, it looked like, it literally looked like every shot was about to go in. Every, there was like, nice guy, nice guy. Goaltending, goaltending, the NHL might not be his deal. There was like four shots to where it squeaked right seven hole, and like, he didn't even get like a piece of it. Like, that was, he got beat clean seven hole about four times. That should have been goals. And yeah, it's it is a bit concerning with Hellebuck because you know we're used to just seeing such consistency, such being that rock behind the defense, and now it seems like you know flip like some nights it's flip a coin on whether he's going to show up or not. And I think I mean that some of that has to do with you know the, the injuries up front and on the defense. There's been some revolving door of guys on back on on the back end. So maybe that plays into a role, but it is a little bit concerning. But I mean, out of all the problems the Jets have, I goaltending is one of the lower ones on there. 
Yeah, he's still at a 9-12 on the season despite that outing. I just, I honestly think Jets fans are accustomed to seeing him carry a team for a whole season that any bump in the road is seen as a major cause for concern. He didn't play good. I'm not worried at all, though, about Connor Hellebuck. It was just not a, not a great night at all for him. Hopefully against the Dallas Stars, he is a, a tad sharper than he was against the Canadian. Uh, the final thing I want to get to, though, and unfortunately is a negative from the game, but it's also kind of a, a microcosm of the entire season for him. What do you make of Neil Pionk's play? Not, not even necessarily in the game. He made, uh, and some people thought it might have been a penalty. I, I just thought it was a little a little soft on Pionk in the neutral zone. He had a turnover led to the goal there. A couple other miscues in the game. But just kind of as a whole, what do you make of, of Neil Pionk's season this year? Well, it's, I mean, it's nowhere near the level we saw last year. I mean, last year he was he played some really, really solid hockey for this team. And I think they really missed just having that guy down there that can make plays back there. It seems like he's kind of taking his foot off the gas just a tiny bit out there. Seems like it seems off, right? Yeah, it's uh, uh, it could be an injury, could be could be something lingering. I mean, he's he has been in and out of the lineup a little bit. He's just got back from COVID too not too long ago, so maybe Still shaking off some cobwebs there, but I mean, and it kind of so far his career kind of has been trending like that. It's kind of a good season, then not so great season. Then oh, he bounces back, and then oh, he kind of reverts back to that uh to that lower echelon that he we know that he can rise above that and play much better. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just weird, and you know, in a, in a morbidly fascinating sense, it's almost like, can he and Josh Morrissey both be good at the same time? Yeah. Right. Like Morrissey had a couple of rough seasons. And, and like I I've said a number of times, you know, out of his control too, I think, you know, just being asked to do too much by the team, but you know, Morrissey had a couple down seasons the past few years. Neil Pionk was the team's best defenseman. Now it's Josh Morrissey. This is the best season. Josh Morrissey has arguably had of his whole career this year. And then Neil Pionk is at the bottom of this team when it comes to defensemen, Corsi for, expected goals for. He's just, he's, he's struggled this year. I don't think he's been bad, but he's he's struggled. And may, maybe part of it too is trying to live up to the, to the big contract that he signed in the offseason. You know, a lot of the times we do see players struggle to, uh, to live up to that in the first year. And then in years two and three, they, they sort of start to, to pick back up where they were before. I wonder too, maybe if, the pairing with Brandon Dillon just doesn't work. I, I thought on paper that looked like kind of a no-brainer and, and something that I, I thought it might even be the Jets' top pairing this season. But, you know, neither of them have been all that impressive. So there's a few different reasons. I'm not I'm not concerned about Neil Pionk in the long term. You know, even with the, the bigger ticket that he has, I think he's going to be just fine. But it's just not his year, <laughs> you know, right? It, it's just not his year. And even having said that too, you know, if, if he's given you 40 points in an off year, that, that, that you, you could do worse, right? right? But maybe what it does speak to is, and, and we'll get to this later on and closer to the deadline and then in the offseason if it goes out as well, but you do wonder just about the, the composition of this decor as a whole and that, you know, what is, is Brandon Dillon the right partner for Neil Pionk? Can you find the right fit? Because it does look like Morrissey Pionk are here to stay no matter what. But how do you find the right mix of guys to bring out the best in both of them? Because if the Jets can get 
this year's Morrissey with last year's Pionk, then then you've got something cooking and you might only need one more high-end defenseman to fill out an actual, you know, above average to really good defense core. Right. I, I, and I don't know how realistic of an option this guy is, but I think I'd be calling Anaheim and I'd be seeing, you know, how, what, what is it going to take to get a guy like maybe Hampus Lindholm on the Jets? And I, I, he's a free agent coming up. I mean, you get risk that you risk that potential of him coming to Winnipeg and saying, you know, this team just missed the playoffs. I can go. So I can go maybe sign in somewhere warmer. Not yeah. free. You know, can, can, you, can you get Anaheim to Winnipeg? Could you sell him on that? Yeah, I mean, but just like the style he plays, and he, him and Pionk would just be like that one of those modern day just two way pairs that just controls play. And I think like he would be a great guy to add to the top four. Unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of teams that that think they're thinking the exact same way with their own. Maybe they're more willing to part with some extra pieces to get them. But you know, if the Jets you know, it's harder to get free agents. And so if you can take a swing at a guy like that, you know, maybe it's not the worst idea in the world, but we'll see. Lindholm, that's a juicy one. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that. That Now the nice thing with the jets is if, if they go in a big retool and they ship out a bunch of guys this off season, you know, you have Morrissey and Pionk as kind of your mainstays here, one lefty, one righty. So it does give you flexibility that you don't have to go for just a righty or, or just a lefty. You can kind of pick and choose there. I, I, Lindholm's, I, I love his game. I, I think he's great. Um, the issue is going to be, can you convince him to sign here long-term? Exactly. I, I don't know. Maybe he's a, he's a Nordic, he's a Nordic cat. I mean, maybe he likes the cold. Who knows? I, Although Timu was too, and he didn't mind spending his uh, his last decade at Anaheim, so I, I I don't know that that would be that would be interesting. If you do trade for him, I don't have a problem with the Jets giving up assets for any high end defenseman. He is a rental this year, so that would for me have to come with a guaranteed you know extension yeah, in hand with that. But if they're able to do that, hey, that might be the way the Winnipeg Jets have to do business as opposed to you know competing with eight or ten other teams in free agency when you know that you're behind the eight ball in a big way. So and Anaheim as a whole is interesting with Manson and Lindholm and then a few others as well. But yeah, that uh, the chase for a top end defenseman is going to be, I think um, the most interesting topic of the Winnipeg Jets deadline slash off season, how they find a way to go about that. We'll just have to wait and see, uh, but that's going to do it for our look back at Jets Habs. You know, now that you brought the trade talk up, Tyson, we might have to dive into that a little bit more here. Less than three weeks to go before the deadline. We'll do that right away. Plus, Shifley versus Peel. Celebrity boxing. Let's get it done. But before we do that, we got to give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. NHL still rolling along. Football is in the rear view. But don't forget about basketball as well for any hoops fans out there. Go Sixers. Oh, yeah. But for anybody that's interested, a big-time deal at DraftKings, you can't pass this one up. Bet $1 on any team, you get $150 in free bets if they win. So really simple, really easy. Plus, remember, too, DraftKings is giving customers huge cash prizes with their daily fantasy basketball contests if Sportsbook is not available where you are. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. 
That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Whew. I think the trade deadline's here now after that, Tyson. <laughs> we're right into it now. All right, so you were not here for our last episode. I don't know how much you listen to the show, but you, you should Frequently. get some pointers, figure it out for, for your new gig. Um, but we kind of dove into, for the first time, I guess realistically, the pending UFAs on the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, everybody knows Cop Stasny, Bull U are the pending UFAs of, of note, and then maybe some other moves to be made as well. Now, before we get into what we talked about last week, let me just throw a hypothetical, uh, uh, not even a hypothetical, I'll just throw this question to you. If the Winnipeg Jets are near the playoff line, at the playoff line, are you moving guys like Cop and Stasny, or would you keep them to chase a playoff spot? Well, I mean, like, uh, so many variables, right? I mean, like, depending how these next couple of game goes, I mean, depending how the other teams play, I mean, who well, knows? How like, about, Tyson, how about this? Let's just I'll, – I'll, I'll throw this out there. The Winnipeg Jets, three days before the deadline, are in a wild card spot, and they're a point or two up. At that point, would you make the trade? Because it's – look, if they're six or eight points out, they're going to move them. Right? Like, that's – right. I mean, I, I can't envision a scenario where they don't. But if they're in a playoff spot, for example, would you still fight the bullet and trade them, or would you chase a playoff berth? I feel like what I would do is different than what they'll actually do. And I think if they're in that spot, I think they will just stay the course the rest of the year, see what happens in the playoffs, see if they make the playoffs. But if it was me personally, I think I really do think it's time that you cut bait with whoever you don't think is going to be coming back next year, because you've seen just this, this, this season, this group does need a, they need a shakeup no matter what, no matter what happens in the playoffs, unless of course they go on, like make it to the conference finals, cup finals or something. But even then you're going to want to improve your team. I think that right now, especially with how valuable a guy like cop could be at the deadline, you could get premier assets. And even if you want to compete next year, you can flip those assets at the draft, you know, negotiate with other GMs, get some deals done. A lot of people don't really realize that a lot of those deals that happen shortly after the season ends, the groundwork for those trades happen at the deadline. I know I think pretty sure I believe Ryan, the Ryan Ellis trade was actually agreed upon by Nashville and Philly before the deadline was even in, over. In theory, yeah. Yeah. And so I think, like Cop, Stasny, those are two guys who are going to be valuable assets that teams are going to be clamoring to get. And I think that you can use those assets to either retool in the future or you can stay the course, use those picks, build up the prospect pool, try and keep on finding those hidden gems and stars and work in the offseason to try and retool your team. 
Yeah, no, and look, Kevin Chivalea, first and foremost, has to just ask himself the question, from what we've seen this season, is this a cup contending team? And the answer is no. It's just no, right? Like, sure, they could, and even then it's like 10%, but like, sure, they could squeak into the playoffs, but is that just a ticket for a four-game sweep by the Avalanche, right? Like, that, that, that's that's the other problem. Like, hey, we got it, all right. Well, no, Colorado's the best team we've ever seen. So you, you need to ask yourself that question, and I think even the most optimistic Jets fan would agree that, no, this isn't a contending team. So I, th- I think it's a no-brainer as well. You make the moves, and, and like you touched on there, it's you're also not trading away pieces of your core, right? right. Like, you're getting decent to premium assets for depth support guys. Like you're still keeping your top six. You're still keeping your top four and and you're starting goalie. So I think it's a no brainer too. And I I mentioned it last week, but don't forget the St. Louis blues, oddly enough, traded Paul Stasny to the Winnipeg jets when they were tied for a playoff spot. And one year later, that trade, help make the Ryan O'Reilly deal possible. And then they're sipping champagne from the Stanley cup. So just because you make moves to sell this year, doesn't mean that you're necessarily giving up on the future as well. Now, the second part, and I'm intrigued to see what your answer is here. Um, but let's start with Andrew cop first. What do you think would be a, a good return by Kevin Chevalier off in an Andrew cop trade? Well, I think, when you're looking at a guy, you know, the, the numbers he's put up the last couple of years, over 20 goals. He's a guy that you can kind of put out in all situations. You can play him on the wing. You could play him at, you can play him at center too. You know, he's got a little bit of that versatility. You know, I think, I think most teams are going to prefer to play him on the wing though. And I think that he's one of those guys that come playoff time. I think he's going to be a really, really important piece. You know, kind of like how, kind of like a Ross Colton on the, on the Tampa Bay lightning, just those guys on, on that bottom six that can, they couldn't, they can jump up. But if they're in that bottom six role, they're going to grind and they're just going to grind, grind, grind. And as we see, grind. Yeah. And and the size. (laughs) (laughs) And we just know that in the playoffs, like a lot of uh, those players are the teams are the the players that GMs are really looking for at the deadline. And so I think if you can, I think you could maybe squeeze out a first out of a GM. I think that's a very high possibility. If not a first, I think you could get, you know, maybe a second round pick and kind of like a B tier prospect or even even I could even see a team throwing out a second round pick and then condition, make it a first for one of the, one of the yeah the more higher echelon teams. I think you could see like con- conditions and then maybe a mid-level prospect to go along. But I think I, you know, besides Claude Giroux at the deadline, who's really a big name forward. I mean, there's guys who are out there. It's kind of a question if they even get moved. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? Like, if Hurdle stays in San Jose, that's huge for the Jets. I, I, I don't know what Vancouver's up to, but, like, I mean, if Miller and Besser stay, obviously huge for the Jets. If, if those guys all stay, then Andrew Cobb might be the second most valuable forward on, on the entire trade market, right? So, I, you know, I, that's kind of where I was at. I think, I don't want to say it's a bad deal if Chevy can get like a second and something else. I think the expectation should be to get a first round pick because especially if it's a team, a major contending team, it's more of a second round pick in all reality, right? Like it's going to be at the end of the first round, not the most valuable selection. I'll, I think I will just looking at the history of, of previous trades in the last few years. I'm going to be surprised if Andrew cop doesn't get a first round pick, but 
deadline to deadline varies in terms of a buyer's or a seller's market. So we'll see how that ends up in, you know, I guess a couple of weeks time. Um, I had a couple, oh, did you want to say something quick? Yeah, I just think, I think uh, a blueprint that the Jets could really look at is that Nick Foligno trade last year. I think, you know, very, I think those are, I mean, I know Toronto got it. I know there's some people who think Toronto might have overpaid, but I think that is, I think that is closer to proper value for Andrew Cobb. Maybe, I believe it was a first and a fourth and something else minor. I think instead maybe it's a first, a third, and then maybe just kind of like a B minus C plus tier prospect guy that might, that's probably going to play in your bottom six, but he's not going to be a difference maker. Yeah, maybe give Dubas a call. See if see if he wants to roll the dice on that one more time. Um, do you have a, a team or two that you think might be a good fit? One team I keep on coming back to, and I think they're going to be a dark horse at the deadline. I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams. I think they're I think they're going to be pretty aggressive, and I think the LA Kings might go hard for him. And I think you know you compare him with Philip Deneau and have that out ultimate kind of shutdown line for the playoffs. I think that could give teams a lot of fits come playoff time. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't mind LA ponying up either just because, you know, there's the potential they fall out of the playoffs and, you know, even if they do make the playoffs, probably a first round exit. So it'd be a decently high pick. If you get a first from the Kings, that would be really, really solid work from Chevy. I think, I think Boston makes sense if they strike out on the hurdle deal. So I I think Boston and I think Boston and the Rangers the Rangers have kind of gone a little grit heavy over the past year or so. And their third line and, and fourth line by extension, they stink. So they could use a guy like Andrew Kopp for sure. And plus he could join his buddy Chuba back in the Big Apple. Um, Paul Stasny now. I imagine he's not getting what Andrew Kopp is going to get. But what, what would be a decent return for an Ogwack, old guy without a cup in Paul Stasny, who I think fits a lot of the uh, checkboxes that contending teams look to add at the deadline right oh yeah for sure and i think like you said he checks off all those boxes and i think just that veteran presence i think a lot of teams are going to be looking for a guy like that plus he's kind of got that name value still he's still like you hear paul stasny and you think wow that like that's a smart good hockey player i think it's going to be you're going to be getting you're going to be trading him to a team that is obviously going to be one of those upper higher tier contenders i could see him i mean i don't I don't really don't see the Jets moving him anywhere in the West because I think it seems like they're kind of they they got good ties with Paul Stasny. I mean, I mean, really, who knows what the Jets think? There are some teams that refuse to trade in divisions. Some teams don't care. But I really like a two teams in the Metro, and I think we're looking at Washington and Pittsburgh for Paul Stasny. Especially looking at Pittsburgh, it seems like Ron Hextel's got a lot of he's got a tendency to go after veteran centers of the deadline or around the deadline. Like he picked up Jeff Carter last year um, near the end in Philadelphia, he picked up Valtteri Filpula. Oh, nice. You see how that pays <laughs> off. I mean, Yori Laterra. So he kind of has that history of going after two way veteran centers at the deadline, just kind of bolster a team and Washington. It, it seems like they're in on a, every kind of savvy vet. That's every old there. guy, right? Yeah. So, you know, it kind of just seems like a perfect fit there. I didn't think of Pittsburgh. That's a good one. That that makes a lot of sense. And the GM there, he who must not be named, uh, Benedict Hextall, <laughs> that that does seem right up his alley. That would be that would be an intriguing one. I mean, it, it, it's true though. Like really, any of the content, like the top ten teams in the league, are going to look at a guy like Paul Stasny. So it, it's a little different than the cop situation where 
you know, I think that market is going to be a bit more limited. Um, and then it's going to be to try to create a bidding war for a guy like Andrew Cobb. The Jets might go, even though he doesn't have one, might almost go the uh, like the the no trade clause route and say, you know what, you've helped us a lot. We want to keep a good relationship. Give us three teams you want to go to. And if those three teams call us, we'll give you the pick. Right. Yeah. And I, I think a second round pick is fair. Is Does that seem about right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. So that right there, you know, first and a second round pick coming back for the Jets at the trade deadline. And then you still have the rest of your assets ready to go, you know, either at the deadline still or coming up in the offseason heading into the draft. That's that's not bad. Like the Jets could be looking at two picks in the first 20 potentially. And then you have a ton of prospects to work with as well. Uh, that that That's why there's so much at stake here for the Winnipeg Jets here. Uh, I think all Jets fans are just hoping, you know, don't get blinded, Chevy, by the allure of a potential playoff spot. Just make the right move to help the team out next year and you try to reload and, and give this thing another shot. Now, this one's a little tricky to get into, but I, I, I'm just curious if, if a name comes to mind here. If not, no big deal. But... Are there any other players the Jets should consider moving at the deadline? And these will be guys with, with term on their on their contract. But is there anybody that you kind of look at and think, you know what? Maybe it's a futures move. Maybe it's a present move. But I'd look to get out of that one now so we can retool going into the offseason. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe some sort of change of scenery move. I wouldn't like from the Jets back end, one of those, they kind of, they have a bit of a, logjam of guys who are trying to push into that lineup and you only have so many lineup spots right so i think you know if you could move one of those d for a guy like maybe philip zadina from in detroit you know make i i'm not sure so you're, you're thinking like you're thinking like brendan dillard or nate schmidt for philip zadina for example yeah i mean if, you, if you're doing nate schmidt you're gonna have to retain of course maybe add a sweetener but i think that out of the out of those two guys you know who knows? Detroit seems like they're kind of trying. They're in that transitioning phase. It seems like they're making all the moves next year to kind of be like, okay, hey, next year we're gonna be we're gonna be in the mix. So I could see them maybe trying to bolster that back end a little bit. They do need a lefty. They got Cider and and Hronik as their righties in their top four. So I could see them looking for a left-handed defenseman this offseason. Interesting. I like that. I like that you've done your research as well on this. Yeah. I mean, I would I would put. Brandon Dillon's name kind of at the forefront. Not, not that he's been poor or anything, but you know, it's pretty evident the Jets need another high-end defenseman. They they tried to go, you know, one through six solid route, and it hasn't worked out as well as some people thought it might. So you have prospects coming in. You have salary cap issues as well. You know, I don't know if Nate Schmidt is 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 just going to be able to be moved with with the ticket that he's on right now, but I think Brandon Dillon would entice a lot of teams to potentially take a run at him. That would be an intriguing one. Dylan for Zadina. Don't know how many Red Wings are out. Red Wings fans are out there here in Winnipeg that want to chime in on that, but that, that one's got a bit of intrigue to me. I, I, I Maybe we'll keep an eye on that one. We'll put that one in the back pocket. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to talk more trade deadline as we move forward here in the coming weeks, just a, a few days away from it. Um, but do want to switch gears here before we officially call it quits. And it's the story that I did not expect we would bring up in this episode. Um, but 
Tim Peel. Tim Peel goes after Mark Scheifele. That's what I woke up to on Twitter this morning. Uh, the rivalry that I don't think anybody knew that they wanted, but maybe it's something that we we, we got to look into a little bit more. Um, for those that don't know, by the way, or if you missed it, Tim Peel goes after Mark Scheifele at the end of the Habs game. Scheifele and Habs defenseman Chris Weidman kind of get into it. Slash here, cross check there, whatever. They drop the gloves. I guess technically it's a fight. I don't know if any punches were right. It's one of the, it's two guys that don't fight, try to fight. And you know, nothing, nothing really bad happens after the fight. Shafley gets up, does the whole pump up the crowd thing with his arms, skates off to the bench. And, and that's about it. Here's what Tim Peel tweeted this morning. Zero respect for Mark Shifley. What he did to Jake Evans last year was brutal. He has never had any respect for the officials either. Way to go, Chris Weidman. Much respect for you. What did you think when you saw that one, Tice? Because my, my first thought was this is going to be great content. But the second one was, A, a lot of Jets fans are going to be pissed. But I don't know if Tim Beal's the right guy to be calling out disrespect and, and disgrace and things like that. Like, who does who does Tim Peel think he is? Even like, I'm sorry. Like, even like, I don't even think I don't even think Weidman like like that whole. I didn't think Weidman did that much leading up to that kind of like that scrap. It was more of a wrestling match than a fight. But like, Tim Tim Peel can't be saying anything. And then even I was reading I was reading his the the replies on that tweet, and I saw someone I saw someone bring up. Uh, a little like clip of PK Subban's slew foots over the past couple of years. And he goes, he goes, I've talked to PK. He's always been respectful. And he says it's a bad habit that's crept into his game. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> any player that just goes out and says, yeah, you know, I just have a really bad habit of slew footing people and tearing their <laughs> knees. I, it just, it just recently crept in. I don't know what, I don't know what happened. And for Tim Peel to just be like, yeah, makes sense. Like it sounds like Tim Peel's the kind of guy that, picks guys who he doesn't like and you know when you see penalties where it's like hey that didn't seem like a penalty most of the time when he was refing those games it was tim peel so tim peel can just shut up <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about the whole pk slew band thing um you know you're right i mean <laughs> what's the nba referee what was his tim donahy tim donahy yeah yeah i mean tim donahy doesn't give out too many, too many hot takes on Twitter. Right? Like he just kind of keeps a low prof- profile. Maybe that's the route that Tim Peel should take here. Uh, I mean, look, there, there are some interesting things to take away from this, in my opinion. The first being that, yeah, yeah, Tim Peel maybe needs to just like zip it a little bit when he's talking about respect given out and you know what vendettas against players and things like that. He clearly does not have much of a leg to stand on there. I also don't really have much of a problem with Shafley doing the crowd pump. Look, Jets fans love it. Habs fans hate it. I think everyone else is indifferent, right? Like it's depending on what jersey you wear as a fan, it's going to cloud the way you feel about that. Like whatever, it's the game's over. He's never going to get into another fight again. He's probably thinking this is the last chance I'll ever get to do something like this. The one thing I will say is that, I mean, it's not the best look when you're – five six inches taller than the guy and he takes you down it's not the best look it's, it's not the yeah. best look you're, <laughs> you're up three, four goals of the, like yeah I, whatever though like to I, i'm just kind of whatever on that right yeah you know what i mean like if you ask like 
would I have done that in that situation? No, but I'm not gonna kill Mark Shifley for that. You know, right. it's adrenaline too. Like you're like, I mean, yeah. it's easy to say from. Yeah, you, you know, when you get in scraps all the time, sometimes you just can't control yourself. Yeah. Uh, but the one interesting thing I'll take away from this is just, and I want to get the line here. He never had any respect for the officials either. That that is interesting. Like even though. Peel is an idiot for most of this. Like that is an interesting little tidbit there because think, say what you will about him. He clearly has a relationship with the majority of the, of the refs in the NHL. And I would have to say that is probably a, maybe not a popular opinion among officials, but it's one that's certainly held by a number of them. Right. And we've seen in the past, the Winnipeg jets have had penalty problems. They've had discipline problems. You know, Evander Kane, when he was here, was well known for tracking the officials all over the ice after a penalty. Like, it, it, this has kind of been a reputation thing for the Winnipeg Jets. And, and a lot of fans have mentioned this over the years. So it was just interesting that he he just kind of admits it, right? Like, he, he just kind of admits, you know what? Yeah, I was biased against Mark Shafley. And it's, it's a good thing he's out of the league, if, if that's your attitude, because, I mean, you're supposed to be as impartial as you can be as a ref. But I do think it is interesting that for whatever reason, and I don't know what is said on the ice outside of Tim Peel turning on a hot mic here and there, but clearly Mark Shifley is not held in the highest regard from a number of officials across the NHL. And that, that, that's an interesting tidbit to take away. I think. And yeah, I got not, we're not, not trying to harp on it, on him too much about it, but you know, you kind of sometimes see it's like every time he gets a penalty, it's like, he's got this shocked look on his face. Like who me? Like you, you call that on, like I got the penalty. I, I don't, I don't take penalty. Like I don't, it's yeah. And then like refs just hate that. Like, yeah. Right. Like the, in a way you're showing them up, even though you're not, you know what I mean? And I mean, I do get it too, from an official standpoint, because like, yes, you're supposed to be impartial and unbiased, but they are human. Like yeah. they're not robots. And yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of like it's it's natural human nature. Someone that's nice to you versus someone that's rude or not so nice to you. Who are you going to go out of your way to help out more? You, you know what I mean? Like it, it's you could say you're supposed to be unbiased, but like there is an element of that. I don't think the Winnipeg Jets are as bad as they were a few years ago. But it is just interesting to me that Shifley kind of gets singled out here by Tim Peel. Maybe it's a personal vendetta, but I don't doubt that a number of other officials feel that Shifley kind of shows them up more often than other players. And I mean, the other, the only thing too is it could be Tim Peel's a very stubborn individual who doesn't like being told that he's wrong too. That's I mean, fair. like, and <laughs> doesn't doesn't want to hear it either. So who knows? Obviously, but it is it is it's it's. It's there. I don't know, like I can't really think of anything else to say, but there is like there's something there. There's whether there's smoke, there is fire. Yeah, I mean, look, NHL officiating has stunk for a long time. This has been the, honestly, this has been the worst year. And I'll say that those Olympic refs were the worst. Were the worst refs I've ever seen at any level. Those Olympic refs were so bad. Like that one rush, I was watching Russia Switzerland, like one of the first games of the tournament. And they didn't call any, like, rush. There was Switzerland guys were two-handing guys and, like, breaking their sticks. And they're just like, well, whatever. I know I know we say this every year, but 
officiating is the worst it's ever been this year. And it, it drives me. And it just wait till the playoffs happen, too. And it it annoys the hell out of me that, you know, speaking back of the deadline again, Ben Sherrod being the name thrown out there, everyone's like, you got to get Ben Sherrod so we can cross-check everyone into oblivion once the playoff. Like, why are, why are we still doing this? Just call the rule book. I, I don't know. It's probably going to take a new commissioner, to be honest, because let's face it. This is the refs are doing what Gary Bebbin and the higher ups want them to do. But man, oh man, is it frustrating. Great that Tim Peel's out of the game, but it's a shame that, you know, it's going to take about seven or eight exits and not necessarily just officials for the game to be refereed properly. Yeah, like, I I mean, like, I I completely forgot that they were cracking down on cross checks. I feel like there's been more this year than any of them. They did for a week. <laughs> they, they did. They're like, yeah, no one will complain about it anymore. We're good. And then they just, you know, call the rest of the rule book. So whatever. I mean, it sucks that we have to end it talking about officiating, but blame Tim Peel, not us. So <laughs> it's too bad that Tim Peel can't call another game in Winnipeg. That would be a hell of a, I would love to know the chance, the chance at Canada Life Center, if Tim Peel were ever to referee another game here, but. Uh, I, I guess just something to keep an eye on down this stretch, right? If Mark Schaefer gets called for penalties more here and there, maybe we could talk about an anti-Jets bias. I know a lot of people have brought that up before, but just a, a weird, a, a weird, weird personal battle. Tim Peel and Mark Shifley. Um, that, that's how we close out the week here. Didn't think it would happen, but that's where we are. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for the episode here. So we're done for the week. That's it. Tyson, thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. Oh, that's very nice. I hope you do too. <laughs> when we come back, we'll be back at it on Tuesday morning. Yeah, it's pretty much the game of the year for the Jets if, if they want to have any realistic shot at making the playoffs. Dallas Stars Friday night in Winnipeg followed that up with a matchup against uh, maybe Hart Trophy frontrunner Igor Shostorkin and the New York Rangers on Sunday. So when we get back, we'll break down those two games for you guys. Then we'll also preview Jets Lightning on Tuesday night, and then any other trade talk, news and notes, we'll get into all of that when we get back after the weekend. Until then, though, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki. Stay safe and enjoy your weekend, everybody. Peace.